Hey, well, welcome to Redemption Parker. We're glad you're here to worship God with us this morning. We are, if you're just joining us, my name is Mark, uh, one of the pastors here, and it's a privilege to open God's Word with you this morning. We're in the book of Philippians as we work our way through this summer. Uh, We're in chapter 2 and verse 12 through 18. Our message this morning is called, Work Out What God Has Worked In. Uh, And so I'll go ahead and read the passage and pray just once again for the illumination of the Holy Spirit as we continue in our worship, and then uh, we'll dive in from that. But as I read this, I'd ask you to listen carefully. This is God's Word. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should rejoice and be glad and rejoice with me. This ends the reading of God's word. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but what you just read never will. Let's pray one more time. Holy Spirit, it is a privilege to uh, come and uh, dig into your word this morning. And even as you worked through the Apostle Paul to speak these words of life and truth and repentance and um, all that is in it, Lord, you speak those same words to us now. And so give us ears to hear, hearts to comprehend, and, and minds to comprehend, and hearts to receive, Lord, what you have for us. To the end that Jesus is glorified, we pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Hey, before we unpack this package, I, I need to give a shout out to Chad, Chad Holiday. See, Chad reminded me of the most important lesson uh, that I learned in seminary. Chad and I both went to Denver Seminary, and the most important lesson a few weeks ago in our gospel community, he brought the lesson out, and he reminded me even of the professor, Dr. Kermit Eckelbarger. The first class that I had to take at seminary was a class called hermeneutic, which is just a Greek word that means the art and science of interpretation. And so you can apply it to the Bible. Certainly we want to apply it to the Bible, but it can be applied to Shakespeare. It should be applied to the Constitution. It should be applied to every uh, work. And there's, there's certain skills that you pick up to rightly understand and understand uh, the context. And I remember being in that class and thinking, uh, okay, this is my first class of being a little bit nervous. And the first assignment was to do a, a paper on 1 Corinthians 9. And we had to answer some questions, some interpretive questions, and I I did the paper, and I did my best, and I turned it in, and I got back, and it had red all over it. And basically, I don't remember the specifics, but basically the the main theme of the professor's arguments were, this is wrong. Your interpretation is wrong. You have not applied this correctly. I'm like, oh, this is going to be hard. And so uh, I had to learn. I had to learn the number one lesson, and he would say it all the time, and and Chad brought it up in our gospel community. It is this, context 
Context is essential, and it works in concentric circles. We have to understand the context, the context in which we find a verse in its paragraph, and what's the flow of thought, and, and in the book that we find it in, and what's the overall flow of thought, and then the Testament. It is it New Testament or Old Testament, the type of literature it is. We have many bridges to cross. We have historical bridges to cross. We have language bridges to cross. We have cultural bridges to cross. And as we cross all those bridges and understand the context, then we can bring them back into our time and rightly apply and rightly preach and rightly write papers and all those things that is important when you try to understand that. Now, the reason I say that it's because the book of Philippians is awesome. It's awesome because it has so many, every, almost every week it has like at least one verse that you can just say, wow, that's my life verse or something like that. Or you can just say, this is it. And um, that's great and that's uh, applicable. But sometimes we do that in a, um, unappropriate ways. For example, in a few weeks we'll come to uh, Philippians chapter 4, the athlete's favorite verse. You know what it is, right? I can do all things through Christ, through Christ who strengthens me. Well, that's good, and that might apply, but we'll see. Is that the context? I mean, I don't know that Paul was getting ready to run the Olympics at that time. Uh, and so we'll, we'll just jump in. Now, the reason I emphasize this is because there are some theological landmines in this passage uh, there, there, there are some things that we have to walk. There's a lot of noise in this passage. It's like a construction site. There's a lot, a lot of work going on several times. Work for this. God works in this. God helps you work in that. And, and there's a lot of going on. And, and, and there's some words there that are used that we have to understand. The context, for example, he says, work out your salvation. Now, again, if you just rip that out, and if we just have that verse uh, to, to understand Christianity, then we have a very different Christianity. But what we have to understand, okay, well, what does Paul mean, even in the book of Philippians, when he mentions salvation? <clears throat> well, Paul always means one of three things. He's either talking past, present, or future. The Bible talks about our past in Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9. We have been saved by grace through faith. That's called justification, and we want to be very clear on that, that you are saved by grace through faith. In the moment you trust in Christ, you receive the righteousness of Christ, and you are made holy and perfect in his sight. That happened in the past when you trusted Christ, if you trusted Christ. In the future, Paul talks about, hey, you will be saved. Even last week when we looked, or two weeks ago when we looked, he says, a day is coming when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And we know at that day, those that have trusted in Christ, those that have been justified will be glorified. But now Paul says we live in between these two poles if you're a Christian. You have the righteousness of Christ. And you will be glorified in the presence of Christ. But right now, man, it's a different story, isn't it? And so there's this tension. Is it God at work or is it us at work? And the answer is yes. That's right. But this tension is throughout Scripture, right? Uh, divine sovereignty and human responsibility. And at one time someone came to Charles Spurgeon. I'm really sorry about that. Uh, someone came to Charles Spurgeon. He said, how do you reconcile the two? And he says, I never try to reconcile friends. 
There is no tension between God's sovereignty and a human responsibility that they are part of the sovereign plan of God. And so uh, we have to walk in this tension. And, and in the church, like there, there's one of two ways that we tend to fall off the tightrope where we either say, well, it, it's all God. Just let go and let God just chill out. And then the others say, no, 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 no. You got to work. And your mom told you, God helps those who help themselves. And so, you know, if, God, if you need a little help, he'll help you. But otherwise, you just work really, really hard. And as the pendulum swings back and forth, every now and again, for a brief moment, we're right in the middle. We're like, yes, both. And so well, we see this tension throughout Scripture, right? Like, who wrote the book of Philippians? It's not a trick question. Paul, Yeah. But when I asked that question before, when I preached this, my seven-year-old said, God. And she's right. Paul wrote out of his experience with the Philippian church and his desire, his own affections for a particular real people at a real time, and yet in what, what theologians call confluent operation, the Holy Spirit came and with Paul's words, not only it infused them with the words of God, but also now it transfers to the church in Ephesus and Corinth and the first century and third and 15th and, and Redemption Parker, so that Paul writes this, but God writes this. And so we need to be comfortable with the tension. Uh, but there is danger in this passage. So we would, we would walk the tightrope as we go through this. And context is essential. Let, let's unpack it here. Verse 12, he says, therefore. Now, Dr. Eckelbarger would also say, whenever you come across the therefore, you should ask, what is it therefore? Uh, because, again, this comes out of a context. It actually comes out of really from verse 1, verse Chapter 1, verse 27, where Paul says, walk in a manner, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel. And the rest of the book of Philippians is going to unpack what that looks like. And then two weeks ago, we saw Paul talk about Jesus has come down from his throne in glory, come down the ladder uh, in obedience to the Father, to death on a cross, and then was raised again and, and will be glorified. And, and that's where we ended it last time. And then he says, therefore, in light of what Jesus has done, the gospel has implications. And he says this, and he's going to give them an exhortation. But first, notice what he does. He says, my beloved. Therefore, my beloved. These are not throwaway words. Paul loves this church. He, he has experience and history with this church. He loves them. And then he commends them. He says, as you have always obeyed. He just says, look, I, I have seen evidence of, of grace in your life. I, I love you. And he's going to, about to say some hard things to him. But here's, here's just a, a word of encouragement for you. If you ever have to exhort someone or confront someone, if you can't love them and if you don't see evidences of God's grace in their life and you can't tell them that first, then don't tell them anything. Because it just doesn't work. So in love, he comes to him and he says, Look, I, I know God's at work. The evidence of grace is in your life. I've seen it before. So now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. And again, let's be careful here. There is definitely a command. It is an imperative for the church. It's, it's a, a verb, present tense. It's ongoing, work out. It means to bring to completion, to draw out 
uh, to, to do a lot of hard work. There, there is a human responsibility to this, and, and the responsibility is for us to work out, to work hard. Um, in the first century B.C., before even Jesus came, there was a Roman historian and philosopher <coughs> who was, we have an account in the same Greek wording, uh, uh, telling the story of a silver mine in Spain. And he said they were working out of the mine the silver. I love that picture because it's a picture of, uh, of the gospel, right? Paul is saying, let the implications of the gospel that has been put in you begin to work itself out in every area of your life. So we live in a state with a history of mining. A few years ago, we got to go with our kids to a, a gold mine east, uh, west of Colorado Springs. And you put on the, the coat and you go to, put on the hard hat. And you go down about 1,800 feet and you go in these cold caves and it's wet and it's damp. And they begin to tell you. So they would, they would, put, they would drill holes here and they put dynamite there. And, and, and you just get this overwhelming sense as the weight of the world is around you uh, of the hard, hard, hard work it takes to find and draw out out of that mine, the gold and the silver, but it's worth it. It's worth it. It's hard work, though. It's sometimes dangerous work. And so Paul says, work out your salvation. Now, when you became a believer, there may be things that, like gold nuggets on the side of the hill, that you just pick up and, and God begins to work out the gospel to you. There, there may have been sins in your life that were very easily worked out, and the gospel played itself out. And then for, for, for the rest of us and all of us, in some degree, there's parts of our heart where the heart is very, very hard. It's stony hard. And so Paul is saying, work it out Work it out. Dig on it. Put some dynamite in there. Do whatever it takes, but to bring out the gospel implications in that area of your life. And he says, that's the action. Here's the attitude with fear and trembling. It's a sense of awe for who God is. Like after we read about Jesus' coming down the ladder and, and being exalted, there should be this awe. There should be also be this recognition that God takes sin very, very seriously. It cost him the life of his son. And so there should be this fear and trembling. Lord, I hate my sin. There, there should be a whole lot more uh, uh, war going on with our sin. There should be a, a mentality of making war with sin. I hate that I lust. Lord, help me make war with this. I hate that I have pride. Help me destroy this. I hate that I'm a greedy person. My heart is hard. Lord, soften it so that I might be generous and live out, bring out the truth of the gospel in that area. And as a father and as a mother and as a child, and as a co-worker, all these areas, every single area, we must make war with our sin. That has to be the attitude. That has to be this, this all out, this matters to God. And with fear and trembling, I want to grow in sanctification. And so we make war. We, we draw out of our lives, in every area of our lives, the implications of the gospel and again, if that was just the verse, if it ends right there, then we might be uh, pumped up a little bit, but we would ultimately be a defeated people. Because we all know by experience that as hard as we try, uh, there just seems times where we're not making any progress. And it's easy to think, I need to give up. But there's good news. There's gospel for you this morning if you're a follower of Christ. 
Look at verse 13. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is God who works in you. Let me see what I have here. Okay. So notice, again, the conjunction. It is good news, for it is God who works in you. You're not doing this alone. You're not doing this on your own energy and strength. And it's not just to work. Like when you do it, it's not just, well, God's helping me do it. It's not just a little bit of, it's not, I do 90% and God helps those who help themselves and he does the rest. It's not that. It's that if you have any desire, he works even on the level of the will, both the will and to act, God is at work. And so if there is any hatred for your sin, if there is any desire for holiness, here's gospel for you this morning. That did not originate with you. That was put there by God. That's evidence of God's grace that he is at work and he's going to accomplish his good purposes, both to give you the desire and to give you the victory. We don't just battle sin in our own strength and fail, but he will work it out for his good purposes. I'd like to bring along a couple of my friends to help me out in this. They're dead now. Uh, they're uh, what we'd call Puritans. One's from the 1800s and one's from the 1700s. I'll start with someone I already just quoted, Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon put it this way when he preached on this passage. He says, the assistance of divine grace is not given to us to put aside our own efforts, but to excite them. God comes to work in us. What? To work? To be indifferent? Ah, no, friends. To work in us to will with resolution and firmness. Does he work in us having will to sit still? Ah, no. He works in us to do. The direct effect of the influence of grace upon the heart is to make a man active. And the more divine grace he has, the more energetic he becomes. A man will never overcome sin except by energy. See, sometimes in the Christian life, we put such an emphasis on justification, and rightly so, that we think sanctification is just going to happen by itself. We're just going to become more like Christ over time. Ah, no, friends. The Spirit of God wants to enliven your spirit so that you would grow with purpose. Second one from the 1700s, John Owen. He put it like this. The duties God requires of us are not in proportion to the strength we possess. It's not like a 50-50 relationship here, by the way, in our work. Rather, they are proportional to the resources available to us in Christ. We do not have the ability to, in ourselves to accomplish the least of God's tasks. This is a law of grace. When we recognize it is impossible to perform a duty in our own strength, we will discover the secret of its accomplishment. But alas, the secret we often, this is a secret we often fail to discover. He's saying, look, when you, when you recognize that God wants you to grow in sanctification and God provides the energy and that you really can't do it yourself, Jesus would say it in John 15, abide in me and I will abide in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. When, when you realize that it all comes from God through you, then you can have success. You can work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And he says, and this is for his good purposes. We know God accomplishes his good purposes. 
Well, let me just briefly go over the next paragraph and just show you. So that's what Paul said. Now he's going to apply it. He's going to have the rubber meet the road for the Philippians. And remember the context. Again, context. Paul is specifically imploring the Philippians to be unified for the sake of the gospel. That there's some divisions, there's some grumbling, there's some complaining. And so he says, work out your salvation. And here's how you're going to do it, Philippians. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. That seems very mundane. And yet Paul says, no, that's where the Spirit engages us, on the mundane level. Now, I'm going to encourage you in a moment just to think of one area, one hard part of your heart that you say, I'm just going to give attention to, I'm going to give prayer to, I'm going to think on, I'm going to examine, I'm going to ask God's help for. Just one area, but a good area maybe to start is right where Paul has the Philippians start. Do all things without grumbling. And he says, you will shine like, light, like stars in a crooked and wicked generation, lights in the world. There's something about, we live in a time where it's expected to grumble. You're expected to just kind of complain, right? And so we all just go. So think about this. If this is the area of your heart that you're going to work out your salvation and you stop being a grumbler and a complainer, people are going to take notice. I know someone who, uh, when he goes into a coffee shop, wherever he goes, and, and they make his coffee in the morning, they usually ask him, how are you doing today, sir? And his response, better than I deserve. And they're like, well, what do you mean? He's like, I'm doing better than I deserve because you know what? When, when the reference point is hell, I'm doing, and they're like, oh, okay. So maybe they back away or they lean in and they're like, well, what do you mean? With the ref He's like, yeah, I, I know what I deserve and, and I'm doing better than I deserve, believe me. Now, now this week I had two experiences one where I did not do well, and one where I did, for a brief window, uh, worked out my salvation with this. So the first one is I, I was texting with a friend who lives overseas, and, and it just kind of got into, like, complaining. I was complaining and kind of grumbling, and he was affirming, and he was... And so I was like, I got to go. I got to go study and, and preach this passage. And so got off, and I, I'm reading, and I'm like, oh, do everything without grumbling and complaining. And I did not, because again, it's just expected in our culture. I, it wasn't an opportunity to bring out my salvation. And, and so that just stuck with me. And so another situation came up this week. I had to take my car into the shop, right? And of course, um, I, I bought this car used, but it still had an extended warranty. And so I thought everything's covered. And they're like, oh, no, uh, that's just maintenance. I'm like, are you sure? I've, I've never paid anything. And they're like, no, no, that just covers the maintenance. And I'm like, okay, well, I don't have the warranty with me, but I'll, I'll look it up later. And so he comes, and they're like, oh, we have like $1,800 worth of repairs. And I'm like, what? Are you serious? And it's not covered? No, no. I'm like, well, just do the essential one, the, the $400 repair, and I'll pay for that. So I paid for it. I went home. I, I found my warranty, and I was like, no, no. I should not have paid a dime. No, this is covered. And so I call him. Hey, uh is, is you got to work with your service manager. I'm like, okay, is he in? No, he doesn't get in until 10. Okay, that's in an hour. He'll call you then. Of course he didn't call. I call later in the afternoon. Uh, he's busy. He doesn't call. I drive in with the warranty. Oh, he went home for the day. 
Well, can you take a copy of, I just want my $400 back plus you to do the other $1,400 you said it needs. So let's get that worked out too. And they're like, oh, okay, well, he'll be in in the morning and he'll call you. Of course he doesn't. I call again. They're like, sir, did you call the warranty company to get this done? I'm like, no, I never call the warranty company to get this done. So just give me my money back. And I'm starting to lose it here for a moment. And they're like, well, bring it in again. So I drive in again, and, and I'm there. And finally, the guy's there. And they're like, just sit over here. He's busy right now. Sit right here for a moment. And, and in that moment, I thought, what would it look like to work out my salvation right now? And just for a, like a three-minute window of time, I was like, I'm doing better than I deserve. This is not a big deal. Even if I get taken advantage of $400, is not a big deal. And in that moment, as I'm thinking of this, and again, uh, I'm just showing you that uh, this is not my normal, but this is what it looked like in a moment to, where the rubber hit the road to work out my salvation. They said, all right, he's ready to talk to you. And I was able to go there and just say, hey, this is how I see it. And he's like, okay, well, you might have to call him. And I'm like, okay. Um, but it, I didn't just blow up. And I was able to work out my salvation. And so that's what Paul's saying. He's saying that we can think of Christianity and growth and sanctification of all these high and lofty spiritual things. We can go on a monastic retreat. We can, we can go to church. We can pray. We can read our Bible. But there's a moment that's going to happen shortly after you leave here today where, where the Spirit of God is going to say to you, work out your salvation. Maybe it's in an area of your temper or anger or in the way that uh, someone responds to you and you are now able to work out your salvation. Maybe it's in your greed or your pride or your lust, um, but every area matters. But what again, what I would not encourage you to do is to focus on everything, but just say one thing, God. And, and as we work out our salvation in one area, I, I believe it will begin to have its effect in other areas. And at the end of the day, Christ will be put forth. Our light will shine. People will see the gospel. And so what's the one thing for you? Again, I have uh, that. It's just a question I've asked here. What's the one, where's the one thing God is calling you to work out your salvation this week? Is it, is it grumbling? Is it, is it pride? Is it discontentment? Is it anger? Lust, greed, gossip, slander? Is it your marriage? Is it with your kids? Is it with your parents? Is it with a coworker or is it with a neighbor? What is God calling you to work out your salvation? Well, I want to close this in prayer, but I don't want to do the prayer since I've referenced a few Puritans already. I'm going to do something I've done before, and I'm going to have the prayer from the Valley of Vision. It'll be a video here, and then I'll lead us in communion, and uh, we'll sing one last song together. But just in this moment, before we start that video, just ask God. Remember, it's God who works in you to will and to act. We don't make up anything. We don't put the gold in the mind. We draw it out. So now, think about that one thing, and then we'll meditate on this prayer, and I'll come up and lead us in communion. My dear Lord, I can but tell thee that thou knowest. I long for nothing but thyself, nothing but holiness, nothing but union with thy will. 
thou hast given me these desires, and thou alone canst give me the thing desired. My soul longs for communion with thee, for mortification of indwelling corruption, especially spiritual pride. How precious it is to have a tender sense and clear apprehension of the mystery of godliness, of true holiness. What a blessedness to be like thee, as much as it is possible for a creature to be like its creator. Lord, give me more of thy likeness. Enlarge my soul to contain fullness of holiness. Engage me to live more for thee. Help me to be less pleased with my spiritual experiences. And when I feel at ease after sweet communings, teach me it is far too little I know and do. Blessed Lord, let me climb up near to thee and love and long and plead and wrestle with thee and pant for deliverance from the body of sin. For my heart is wandering and lifeless and my soul mourns to think it should ever lose sight of its beloved. Wrap my life in divine love and keep me ever desiring thee, always humble and resigned to thy will, more fixed on thyself that I may be more fitted for doing and suffering.